I'm Sam Lederman, and you're listening to ASU Law Radio. Today I interviewed former Dean of ASU Law, Professor Paul Bender. We discussed abortion, Roe v. Wade, the Texas abortion bill, and an upcoming challenge to abortion the Supreme Court will hear on December 1st, Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health. Stay tuned. Professor Bender, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. All right, now for my first question, we're, we're talking right now about abortion generally, and then we're going to get to the Supreme Court case that's facing the court in, on December 1st for oral argument, which is Dobbs v. Women's, Jackson Women's Health. So question one, abortion, as its name suggests, is a contraceptive medical procedure that aborts a pregnancy, preventing the zygote or fetus from gestating to term or birth. Basically, it eliminates a pregnancy after it started. Briefly, why is this medical procedure so controversial? Well, because a lot of people think that abortion should not exist for various reasons, uh, religious reasons and others, because it terminates the life of the fetus. And so uh, the, the history of abortion laws is very up and down. But for a long period of time, fairly recently in American history, within the last hundred years, abortion has been a crime in the United States, in most states. It's a state crime, not a federal crime. Um, But the Supreme Court decided in a case called Roe against Wade, which is the name that everybody hears. Uh, I forget how long ago that was, but it's at least 20 years ago, probably more, that a woman has a constitutional right to have an abortion. Uh, in consultation with her doctor, Um, but that that right terminates when the fetus becomes viable. So that in the time before the, do you understand what viability would mean? Viability is supposed to mean the Mm -hmm. the ability of the fetus to live outside the mother's body without any artificial uh, help. Um, That varies in each case for each fetus. Uh, so it's not an exact period of time, but it's about 24 weeks after the woman becomes pregnant. So in Rowan Wade, the court held that um, a woman has a constitutional right to have an abortion before the fetus becomes viable. And that's been the law of the United States since that time. I think it was 1973. I could be wrong about the date, but it's been for quite a long time. Uh, But it's been very controversial, as you probably know, and a lot of people have run for office on the promise to get it overruled. And in fact, President, uh, ex-President Trump uh, said that he would, if he were elected, appoint justices to the Supreme Court who would overrule Roe and Wade. And he did get to appoint three justices to the court, and they're all sitting there now. So it's especially... um, controversial right now. Uh, The court has really not had any case recently about Roe and Wade that would change it or overrule it, but they have just, they're about to hear oral argument in a case that from Mississippi, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, where what happened there was the Mississippi legislature didn't totally ban abortion. That would be unconstitutional, clearly. But instead, they said you have to get the abortion within 15 weeks of the pregnancy starting. Now, that's about 10 weeks before viability. Viability is about 24 weeks. So that statute has been challenged as being unconstitutional as a violation of Roe and Wade, which says you have a right to an abortion until viability. 
And that case is going to be argued in the Supreme Court on December December 1st, 1st yes. Yeah, right, okay. Now, there's an, it's somewhat confusing, and I don't want to confuse you, so you, we don't need to go into this, but people should know that there's another abortion case in the Supreme Court that was just argued this morning, mm -hmm. and that's the case from Texas about a Texas statute that is uh, different from the... Um, the Mississippi statute and is much more restrictive. The Texas statute says you can't get an abortion after six weeks after yeah. pregnancy, six weeks versus 15 weeks. And there's been a big controversy about whether that statute can be challenged and who can challenge it, stuff like that. We could talk about that if you want, but we can also just talk about the Mississippi case if that's what you want to do. I think we'll talk about both. And the controversy surrounding that SB8 statute and how restrictive it is, the reason is six weeks. One of the first indications a woman has that she's pregnant is that she misses her period, which happens once a month, just four weeks. So, you know, when a period comes late, maybe two weeks, you may have thought it was a normal occurrence, but really you were pregnant and whoops, you don't have the ability to get an abortion anymore, right. which is why it's, it's being criticized as being overly restrictive. Well, a, now, a large percentage of women who become pregnant, I don't know exactly what it is, maybe it's around 50. 50%, don't find out that they're pregnant within six weeks of the pregnancy starting. So the Texas statute basically means that those women don't ever have a chance to exercise their right to an abortion. Mm -hmm. And even women who figure they might become pregnant immediately upon having sexual intercourse have only six weeks to decide whether to have an abortion or not. Whereas the Supreme Court says they have until the fetus is viable, which is about 24 weeks. So that the Texas statute is being challenged because it violates the viability rule of Roe and Wade. And it's, a spe it's especially a restrictive violation because in the Texas statute, a lot of people won't be able to know they're pregnant in time to get an abortion. Under the Mississippi statute, they have 15 weeks. And I think the 15-week period, I don't know very much about this, but I think that that is a time when the fetus begins to develop in ways that people find significant. And so mm -hmm. the, I, I think the 15 weeks was chosen because, one, it gives the woman time to have an abortion, and, two, after 15 weeks, the fetus becomes more and more to resemble a, a live human being. Yeah, and... Placing the onus on sort of distinguishable characteristics makes it seem like the intention there was not just to decide that a fetus is, say, protectable because of its viability, but also because the potential of its viability is so much greater when it becomes... Well, know. sure. As, as the pregnancy goes on, the chance of it being successful increases. Um, I don't know what percentage of pregnancies end in miscarriages, but it's some significant percentage. So that's the outline of what the Mississippi case is about. And the interesting thing, one interesting thing about the Mississippi case is it would be possible to argue, for the state to argue, that you should uphold our statute, even though it violates Roe and Wade, because it's a reasonable statute, and Roe and Wade's viability rule is too, uh, is too restrictive. Um, and so they, they could be arguing that the court should say 15 weeks is okay as opposed to viability. But in fact, after the court decided to hear the case, the state changed its mind and decided it would just say Roe and Wade should be overruled. 
So the position the state is taking in that case is that Romanet should be overruled. And there are an enormous number of amicus briefs in that case. I haven't read yes. all of them. But I've looked at a few of them, and a lot of them say the same thing. Rowan Wade should be overruled. Um, they don't have to say that because the, the state can win this case without overruling Rowan Wade entirely. They could win this case if the Supreme Court said that viability was not the only constitutional line that a state could draw. If the state draw another line that preserved the right to abortion, but also had a reason behind it, as we've been talking before, that the fetus is sufficiently developed that people think it's really important not to do the abortion at that late stage of pregnancy. The court could decide the case that way, but for some reason the court, the state has decided to go for broke and say overrule Rowan Wade. Now the court doesn't have to do that. The court can do the middle thing also, but I think one of the reasons this case seems so controversial is because the state and a lot of amicus briefs, and I guess they're doing this because Trump said he was going to appoint three justices who would overrule Wade. There they are. So we yeah, might as well yeah. ask them to overrule Wade. Uh, whether that's going to happen or not is not sure. My view is that it is very unlikely that the court in that case will overrule Rowan Wade, um, that they will either leave it the way it is, or a little bit more likely, in my view, they will adopt Mississippi statute and say that's okay, but the woman still has a right to an abortion. It's just that the state can uh, set the time at 15 weeks uh, rather than at viability, at the time at which a woman has to get the abortion if she wants to have it. You should also know that the state statute, as I remember it, I think, it's not an absolute 15-week deadline. If a, if a medical emergency should occur after 15 weeks, mm -hmm. uh, the, the statute permits the abortion at that time. Yes, a lot of statutes, even the ones that challenge Roe v. Wade directly, allow for exceptions in the case of sometimes rape, sometimes, you know, medical this issues. Does, I don't think this statute talks about that. Um, this statute says you can get an abortion, and if you're raped, you know you've been raped. Mm -hmm. So you could do it within 15 weeks if you find out that you're pregnant and you can access to an abortionist and stuff like that. But it does say that if something should happen after 15 weeks, which makes it medically important to have it and that can happen diseases can develop which can only be cured if you have the abortion that the mississippi statute permits that mm -hmm. yeah for instance cancer treating cancer with chemotherapy or radiation puts the fetus at right. so much risk that it essentially would be an abortion so they just so i think that's the kind of thing that the mississippi statute would let you do after 15 mm -hmm. weeks but in general it says if you want an abortion you have to get it within 15 weeks and if you don't, then you can't get it anymore. So right now we're talking about the Mississippi case and SB8, but these are far from the first and possibly won't be the last challenges to Roe v. Wade. Um, Roe v. Wade, as we decided in the 1970s, was decided, but although it settled the issue in terms of law, constitute or federal law, clearly from the, uh, the decades that came after didn't settle the issue of abortion among citizens or lawyers. Public opinion remains very divided. Um, and in that intervening time, there was, have, was and have been um, plenty of challenges to it. What are some of the ways that in the past, outside of SB8 and the Mississippi bill, abortion has been challenged by states, lawyers, legislators, whether through law or through like, you know, just making abortion very inconvenient. 
Well, there have been a lot of uh, attempts by states to limit abortion in various ways. For example, one a, a common one is there's a 24-hour waiting period. You go to a doctor to get an abortion, and you can't do it right away. You have to wait 24 hours to make sure that the woman thinks carefully about what she's doing. That's one of the possibilities. There are all kinds of other things. Um, you, if you're married, you have to get your husband's permission. Some states try to do that. Uh, and all kinds of restrictions on abortion clinics, what they had to have in the clinic in order to permit them to operate. There's been a lot of litigation about that kind of stuff over the years. And the court has developed a test that says that you can regulate abortion, but you can't put an undue burden on the right. And what an undue burden is, is not entirely clear. And so there's been a lot of litigation about that kind of stuff. Um, this case is different. The two cases, the Texas case and the Mississippi case, is different because they're not saying you have to have a, a certain equipment in the clinic where you do the abortion or you have to uh, get permission. For example, juveniles have to get their parents' permission, but if they can't, they can go to a judge. That's what most of the litigation has been about. But this is not that. This is no... Um, at a certain time, you can't get it anymore. And those cases have not come up to the court recently. Uh, in all events, even if people have tried to bring them to the court, the court hasn't taken them. But in the Mississippi case, the court took a case in which it looked like it could, and with the three new appointments, it looked like it very well might decide whether to overrule her own weight. But as I said, because the statute, the Mississippi statute is a clear violation of Roe and Wade. You don't have to worry about an undue burden. Roe and Wade says you have a right to an abortion until viability. Mississippi says you have a right to abortion until 15 weeks. 15 weeks is like 10 weeks before viability. So it's a significant uh, a, a change of the right, a diminishment of the right. Um, so that's the issue that the, that's before the court. But And as I say, the court can treat that in at least two different ways. They can decide whether to overrule Roe and Wade, which would make the Mississippi statute okay. But they can also decide not to overrule Roe and Wade, but nevertheless uphold the Mississippi statute by continuing to uh, recognize the right to an abortion, but getting rid of the viability line and saying the right to abortion is not only till viability. If a state decides it's up to a different time, and if this time the state picks is a reasonable time, which doesn't put an undue burden on abortion, then the state can do that. So the issue in the Mississippi case might be, um, is 15 weeks an undue burden to make you do it within 15 weeks? That is, do you know enough about whether you're pregnant? Do you know about whether, do you have enough chance to think about whether you want an abortion. If 15 weeks gives you all of that, uh, then it might be not an undue burden if you get rid of the viability line, which is sort of set in stone in Rowan Wade. So what I'm trying to say is this case could result in overruling Rowan Wade. It could result in not overruling Rowan Wade, but overruling the viability line. Or it could result in nothing and this, the, the uh, law staying the same way it is now, which is that the Mississippi statute is unconstitutional because it prohibits abortion um, before viability. Suppose the viability line is eliminated, and they say that 15 weeks is a reasonable limit on abortion, 
that does not place an undue burden on women seeking abortions. Now, that's just one deadline which we've decided is reasonable. Is what's up what's up next could be 14 weeks, 13 weeks, 10 weeks. Where do you see the deadline? What do you think the minimum reasonable deadline is from your experience? Uh, I have no idea what the minimum reasonable deadline is. If you were going to take that approach, that viability is not set in stone, but um, what what is set in stone is the woman's right. And so you have to have a time period which lets a woman make a decision whether to have an abortion, exercise her right. If you were going to do that, I think it would be very hard for the court to say when that time is because it's a medical thing. Doctors don't agree on it. Every fetus is different. Uh, so it's one of the problems of the viability line because mm-hmm. where they get that from? It's a scientific thing. Um, so if the court says that Mississippi can do this, it would have to say whether they're saying Mississippi can do this because we're changing viability to 15 weeks. Or they could say Mississippi can do this because that's a reasonable line. And the thing that makes it a reasonable line is that it preserves a woman's right and yet gives um, attention to the feelings of the people who think abortion should not be permitted at all. If they said something like that, then um, they would have determined that 15 weeks is a reasonable line. If a state then tried to make it 14 weeks, I think that would be held unconstitutional almost immediately. Uh, unless the court said, hey, 15 weeks is okay, and we're not sure what the line might be. A state could do any number of things, and we're not going to say now whether it's 15 weeks or not. If they did that, that would really be irresponsible of them, mm-hmm. because it would just generate a lot of unnecessary litigation. So if they were to uphold the Mississippi statute, you can't tell for sure, but I would think that the opinion would make it clear that don't play around with this anymore right now. States, don't start making it 14 or 13. We said 15 was reasonable, unless you have a really strong reason why in your state it's different, you got to stick by 15 weeks. But you're right in pointing out that that's one of the problems with overruling your own weight. Why do you substitute for it? If mm-hmm. you say, well, abortion's not protected at all, that's easy. Um, and then maybe the court will do that, and that's what uh, the people who want Roe and Wade overruled really want, is to get rid of it altogether. My view is that that is unlikely to happen, that I don't think there are five votes on the current court to do that, although there might be. If the three Trump appointees vote to completely get rid of it, they'd need two more votes. Uh, who would those two be? Um, the most likely ones, if you want to talk about that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. I think would be Justices Alito and Thomas. And so it's, those are really, to my mind, the only possible ones. But if those two agreed with the three Trump appointees that the right to abortion is, should never have been established and is gone, that would overrule Roe and Wade completely. One of the reasons I think that's not going to happen is because of the political implications of doing that. I would think this is just me, and I'm not a political expert, but I would imagine if the court overruled Roe and Wade in June, that's when this case is likely to be decided between mm-hmm. uh, up until June, because that's when the court ends its term. That if they did that, that would have a devastating negative effect upon Republican 
prospects in the next presidential election mm -hmm. because uh, there are enough people who think that there ought to be a right to an abortion that for the court to, um, because a Republican president made three appointments to do this, that the court got rid of Roe and Wade, I think that would hurt Republican political prospects. Now, if, if uh, the members of the Supreme Court think that um, and they are interested in not hurting Republican political prospects, it would seem to me that they would be much more likely to join an opinion which said the Mississippi statute's okay um, without overruling it because saying the Mississippi statute's okay I don't think would have as much of a devastating political effect upon the Republicans as overruling it completely. The Supreme Court issues a lot of fractured opinions, and I'm wondering what the potential for, say, a majority opinion that says Roe v. Wade should just be eliminated, and then a concurrence on a narrower ground saying that Roe v. Wade should not, the right to an abortion should remain, but the viability line is not, you know, set in stone. 15 weeks is reasonable, and then dissents saying, you know, keep Roe v. Wade. The Marx rule would dictate that you would take from that ruling, the narrower concurrence is what the court is holding. Um, what do you think about that as a sort of a political tool to a, to satisfy a long-term Republican desiderata of um, getting rid of Roe v. Wade, or at least having the court say, this is unconstitutional, which is, you know, that's, that's getting pretty close to what they want, is just sort of vindication. And, but also retaining the vibe, like a limit, and also the right. Well, what do I think is about the likelihood of that happening? I think that's the most likely thing to happen. Uh, I don't think, as I just said, I don't think there are five votes on the court to completely eliminate Roe and Wade for any number of reasons. The best reason, from my point of view, is that that would just be wrong. Uh, that uh, given the constitutional development of, of individual rights under the 14th Amendment, um, there ought to be a right of a woman to have an abortion. Um, and so to eliminate that completely, I think, would be inconsistent with the development of the 14th Amendment. Um, and, and for political reasons, I think even justices who are kind of on the fence might decide it's better to uphold the Mississippi statute but not get rid of Roe and Wade altogether. You're right that you could get several opinions. Some say it should be overruled. For example, you might have uh, Alito and Thomas saying that, and then you might have uh, three people saying Roe and Wade should be left exactly as it is now. That might be the three so-called liberals on the court. And then a third opinion taking an in-between position saying um, we uphold the Mississippi statute, uh, but we, so we overrule Roe and Wade in part, we change the viability rule, but there's still a right to an abortion. To me, that's the most likely thing to happen. And that can happen uh, if you get five justices who agree with that position. Now, the three people who want to keep, if three people want to keep Roe and Wade exactly the way it is, then they just need two more people who want to keep some right to an abortion. And so if the court would have an in-between opinion signed by at least two people uh, that the Mississippi statute is okay because it's a reasonable limit, but the right to abortion still remains, that would become the majority opinion, or that would become the rule that everybody would have to follow. 
So you have to wait until you see what the court says in that case to know what's happening. Uh, you, can't, you can't know until you see the opinions. Um, and as I say, there could be any number of different things that they could do. The uh, most likely thing to me is that they will say that the right continues, but it, states can change the viability line if they have a good reason to do it. And they might say 15 weeks looks to us like a good reason, or they might say maybe it is a good reason and we'll remand the case for the lower court to take evidence about whether 15 weeks is the right time. In some ways, that's probably the most likely thing um, to happen. That seems to be supported, this theory that we'll have a fractured opinion, it seems to be supported by the fact that Chief Justice Roberts has concerned himself so particularly with the legitimacy of the court during his term. Um, this issue is incredibly polarizing, but showing sort of some nuance and moderation in the face of an expectation that they will just overturn it, given the majority held by conservative justices, could serve to bolster the legitimacy of the court. Do you think that that's playing into his reasoning? Well, I need to say something about that at the beginning, which is I know a lot of people say Chief Justice Roberts is really concerned about the court's image and the court's legitimacy. He's not the only one on the court who is concerned about that. Everybody on the court is concerned mm -hmm. about that. I think it is a mistake to think that he's kind of unique. He worries about the court's traditions and the court's uh, uh, um, legitimacy, and other people don't care. They all care. Uh, he may have a different view about how to retain the legitimacy, but, but he's not mm -hmm. the only one who cares about that. So don't put that all on Chief Justice Roberts. Um, he has recently seemed to indicate, most recently in what he did in the Texas case a couple of months ago, that he has a little flexibility on Rowan Wade, that he is not committed to completely getting rid of Rowan Wade. Um, because what they did with the Texas case, the court's opinion, which is unsigned, um, even the court's opinion, which is unsigned, says, hey, there's a serious argument that the Texas statute's unconstitutional. If you think Rowan Wade is wrong, you don't think it's a serious argument. Chief Justice Roberts wrote his own opinion, which said more than that. He said, hey, it's a really serious argument. We've got to think about it very carefully. And I think this statute should be stopped from going into effect right away while we think about it. Now, he was in the minority in that because five people didn't want to do that. But for him to say, let's stop this statute, suggests to me he, he is not ready to overrule Rowan Wade. And another reason why I don't think the court's going to do that is if they were going to do that and they have the votes to do that, they could have already done that. They could have, the court can do that anytime it wants if it has a case, and it has a case. So instead of setting this Texas case down for or argument today, which is what they did, they could have just said, we overrule Rowan Wade. If they have five votes, they can do it. They didn't do it, uh, and that's another reason why I think they're not about to do it. Um, although we don't have as much of an indication from anyone else than, than Roberts that he's softening his position about Rowan Wade. As far as I know, it's very hard to read the tea leaves, but I would think that Thomas and Alito are pretty locked in 
to thinking Roe and Wade was wrong from the beginning and should be overruled. A lot of people feel that way as a philosophical thing. They said the right to abortion comes from substantive due process and that's an illegitimate concept and the whole thing ought to be discarded. So if you take that view, then you know what the answer is. But very few people, I think, take that view now. I think substantive due process is something that people have come to understand is a part of our individual rights, that if things are so unreasonable uh, in the way they interfere with liberty and there's so little justification for them that they ought to be held unconstitutional, I think most people think that's a right thing to do. For example, uh, some states try to outlaw the use of contraceptives. And the Supreme Court said you can't do that. There's nothing in the Constitution that says you have a right to use contraceptives. The way there is, mm-hmm. it says you have a right to free speech. But the court said that's something you have a right to do because it's a basic, fundamental right that you ought to have because it's so important to the way you live your life. If you don't want to have children, you shouldn't have to have children. Um, so I don't think the court is ready to get rid of that substantive due process concept. And if they keep it, then I would think that uh, there'll be some people who want to keep it exactly the way it is with a viability line, but there might be some people who would say it's so controversial and there are so many people who feel that it's wrong to abort a late-term fetus because it gets more and more to be like a human being, a born human being. And at some stage, you have to say you can't abort it anymore. You can't kill a child after it's born because you don't want it. Uh, So you could say, well, then you shouldn't be able to abort it a week or two or a month before that. So a line has to be drawn somewhere. And that seems to me the most likely thing that the court is going to be into doing. And then they have to decide whether they want to say Mississippi has drawn an okay line or we don't know whether they have. And so they need to go back and give us justification for it. Uh, or to say, no, we like Roe and Wade the way it is, and therefore Mississippi can't change it at all. I don't think there's more than three votes for keeping mm-hmm. Roe and Wade exactly the way it is. That's why I keep saying that. I think the most likely thing is that they will either uphold the Mississippi statute or they'll say it may be constitutional if it's a reasonable limit, and they'll send the case back to decide whether 15 weeks is a time that leaves the woman enough of an opportunity to get an abortion. And if there are enough exceptions to it, so that if a medical emergency should occur after 15 weeks, the woman still has the right to an abortion. Now, with regards to this Texas statute, it's been making headlines because of, you know, how it evidently effectively eliminates abortion access, as we've said. It makes it sort of unreasonably, this unreasonable deadline where you really wouldn't even know you're pregnant. Um, so people have been asking non, you know, people who are not as, you know, legally minded as say law students or law professors, why is this even being held up? How is this not unconstitutional, stricken down right away? Why didn't the Supreme Court say this is unconstitutional? It's over, and it owes to a, although the, the the methods they use are fairly sideways and a little devious, the construction of the statute is I think worth noting. It's very interesting the way they managed to concoct this device, this this statute that sort of circumvents Roe v. Wade, but also accomplishes the the purpose of, the well, has the effect of negating Roe v. Wade. Could you describe how it works? Okay. Yeah, well, I don't agree with you that it has the effect of 
uh, overruling Roe Wade in Texas. It's not the statute that does that. It's the refusal of people who do abortions in Texas to do them if they are illegal in the way that if they do them, they might get sued for damages and have to pay a lot of money and maybe their license will be revoked. They can still do abortions. And I think that's really important to understand. The Texas statute is not a criminal statute. If it were a criminal statute, then a doctor could say, and probably should say, hey, if I do an abortion and somebody finds out about it, mm -hmm. I'll get arrested. I'll have to spend time in jail. I have to put up bail. I may get convicted. I may go to prison. Uh, and you can understand in that situation that doctors would say, no, we won't do it. But the Texas statute is not that. The Texas statute doesn't do that because if they made it a criminal statute, it would be clear, according to the way precedents have gone recently, that that statute could be challenged in federal court right away, like the Mississippi statute was. If you make it a crime, then a doctor who wants to do an abortion can go to court and say, hey, I want to do an abortion. I think there's a constitutional right to abortion. So let give me a declaration that I can do it because it's, the statute's unconstitutional. But Texas, in order to try, to try to avoid that, and if they didn't, I think you're absolutely right. The Texas statute would, if it were a criminal statute, would have been held unconstitutional quite rapidly. So they said, let's try to get around that. And we, we make it a, not a civil, not a criminal statute, but a civil penalty. So if you do an abortion, it's like a tort. And, um, and, and also, we're going to let anybody in the state sue the abortionists for committing that tort. That's mm -hmm. really very strange. And they can get as much as at least $10,000 in damages. So they said, let's set it up as a civil offense. And then a doctor won't be able to come in and say, you got to decide it right now because the statute is stopping me from doing an abortion because the statute isn't stopping you. The statute is just saying you're going to have to pay you might have to pay some money. And doctors are exposed to that kind of stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. They get sued for malpractice fairly frequently. So they decided, let's try to do that. And that's what they did. And uh, as a way of trying to avoid immediate decision that the statute was unconstitutional. And so far, it has worked. Because if you, the best indication of that is the Supreme Court's opinion in the case it had a couple of months ago, when what happened was a Texas judge, a Texas federal judge held, said, I think this statute is probably unconstitutional, and I'm going to have a hearing to decide that, scheduled a hearing. A couple of days before the hearing, the Fifth Circuit, which is the Court of Appeals there in Texas, said, no, we're not going to have a hearing. You, you have to stop treating this case. Uh, this, we're not going to stop the statute from going into effect. He was going to have a hearing about whether he ought to enjoin the statute because it was probably unconstitutional. So the Fifth Circuit said, no, you can't do that. And the, uh, the, the Planned Parenthood, who were challenging the statute, went to the Supreme Court and said, hey, the, the judge is right. The statute is presumptively unconstitutional because it so clearly violates your own way. And these rights are very important. And so the statute ought to be held up because if you don't hold it up, 
then people will not be able to get abortions. And if it's a constitutional right, their rights will be violated. And that went to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, no, we're not going to hold it up because we have procedural problems. And the procedural problems were because it was a civil statute. And they said, who are you going to sue if you want to enjoin that statute? Who's the defendant? In a criminal statute, the defendant would be the prosecutor or the attorney general or somebody in the state who would enforce it. The Texas statute says no state officials shall enforce this statute, only be enforced by private citizens. So it, that creates a serious procedural problem because there's nobody to sue. You can't sue, at least in the past, you haven't been able to sue a state in the abstract. You have to have somebody to sue. And also there's a, there are doctrines that make it hard to sue states um, like sovereign immunity. Uh, and so the court wrote it, the five members of the court wrote an opinion said, we can, this is troublesome. There are procedural difficulties here that we haven't solved. And in order to get us to let you stop the statute from going into effect, you have to clearly show that you have a good case. And there's so many procedural problems that we're not convinced of that. Maybe you, you can find a way to get a good case. So you might want to try again, but we're not going to do anything right now. That's what the Supreme Court did. So they left it up in the air. Um, and now they've just heard argument today on that same issue, really. Um, and the reason that they, I think the reason that they decided to re-look at that is that after they decided not to stop the Texas statute from going into effect, the United States joined the case. And the federal government, through the Justice Department, sued Texas and said, we want to stop the statute. And there are reasons to think that the federal government might be able to surmount these procedural problems if it's the plaintiff rather than Planned Parenthood. And so the court, whether that's the reason or not, I don't know, but when the federal government decided mm -hmm. to join the case, the court set this thing down for argument. And the issues today were one, is the federal government entitled to be involved in this case? And two, if it is, is there a good reason to stop the statute from going into effect, even though it's not a criminal statute, but because the civil penalties that would be levied on doctors would be so serious that in fact it stops abortion because doctors don't want to take those risks. That's the issue before the court to today. And uh, it's a closely divided issue because it was five to four last time. And this time um, you have the federal government saying, uh, we have, on behalf of the whole country, we want to stop this Texas law from going into effect. That might mean that you ought to find some way, try to find some way to get around these procedural difficulties. And there are several different ways that that can be done. And I think that's what the court is thinking about right now. I wanted to end with just sort of a general question about what makes abortion so unique. And what interests me most about abortion is that the issue is not only incredibly polarizing and possibly for many people, the most important issue to them, even if they don't vote on it, most people vote on the economy. But what's, it's also a fundamental question about metaphysics. The core issue at the heart of the abortion debate is, in my opinion and many others, is just when does life begin? Um, what constitutes a human life? Does life begin with consciousness? Does it begin with a heartbeat? These are questions that sort of extend beyond just the Constitution or the laws that are on the books, but really deal with how we feel about 
life and that concept. Right. Well, if, if the constitutional issue depend upon when life begins, that would be quite unique because how in the world can the court decide when life begins? Is it the first twitch? That's, uh, that's, that's something courts don't usually, they, they, the courts don't decide mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Uh, and so that's why if your opposition to abortion is that, hey, life begins at conception, and therefore you, you don't have a right to an abortion, the court has to decide when does life begin, and there's a tremendous amount of dif difference of opinion about that. You can say it begins at conception, or you could say it begins when the, when the fetus is born, or you could say it begins somewhere in between. Nobody knows the answer to that. So if you want to decide the case according to that, that is when, when life begins, it becomes very, very difficult for the court to deal with it because it doesn't know the answer. Some people think they do, and some people think this, some people think that. That's why I think that that's really not the way the court ought to approach this case. Mm -hmm. The court ought to approach this case by saying to itself, do women have a right to abort a fetus if they don't want to give birth to that fetus? And if they say no, then that's the end of it. But if they say, yeah, um, because having a child you don't want to have is such an important thing in your life and can change your life so much uh, that it's something you ought to be able to make up your own mind about. You shouldn't have the government tell you whether that is true. Um, if they say that, then the question becomes, how do they vindicate the right and still, they could just say vindicate. The woman has a right. Whenever she wants to have an abortion, it's okay. But I think they have to realize that, and they've had some cases that raise this issue. A really late-term abortion bothers a lot of people, including justices on the Supreme Court, because it's so late. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if they think of it that way, then they realize that the woman may have the right, but the right doesn't continue up until birth. No one, I think, would say that you could, you could uh, kill the fetus as soon as it's born. So if you think mm -hmm. that, you shouldn't be able to do it a day before or a week before or a month before, in, except for a very unusual circumstances. So if that's the way you're thinking, you have to draw a line somewhere. And that's mm -hmm. what makes this case, one of the things that makes this case so difficult is because the court doesn't know where to draw the line because it depends on a lot of things they don't know. Uh, when does life begin? If they, you think it, it depends on that, how does the court know that? It, and and I, I don't, the court doesn't know how conscious a fetus is at six months, when a fetus begins to feel pain, uh, those kinds of things. And so how does the court draw a line? A line has to be drawn, <laughs> assuming the woman has a right, which I think Alito and Thomas may not think so, but I think most of the people on the court are going to end up thinking a woman has some right to an abortion. Assuming she has the right and she doesn't have the right to do it very, very late in pregnancy, somebody's got to draw a line. And the court is used to, in those kinds of situations, drawing the line itself. That's what it did in Rowan Wade. Um, mm -hmm. 
the alternative to that would be to say, a line has to be drawn somewhere. It has to be a reasonable line. We're not going to say what the line is. We're going to leave it up to states to say what they think the line should be, and then we'll decide whether we think the line is reasonable. Mm -hmm. That's a very unusual thing for the court to do. And I think that's what the court is really faced with is the most likely way to dispose of this case. If I'm right that a majority of the court feel that the woman should have a right to an abortion, at least at some time, to get an abortion. And at the same time that she doesn't have a right to get it really, really late in pregnancy, then should the court draw the line as it didn't row and wait and say viability? Um, especially since since the court did that, there have been a lot of medical developments and understandings that suggest that viability might not be the right time to do it. Uh, if, you, if you're worried about it, is the fetus conscious, for example, nobody knows when that is, but probably not mm -hmm. viability. So the court would have to do something quite unusual, which is to say, here's a constitutional right. It can be limited. But we're not going to tell you what the limit is. We're going to leave that to the states to decide in the first instance. And when a state decides that we're going to make the limit six months or seven months or whatever, then we'll decide whether that's a reasonable limit. But there'll be some flexibility. So the result will be that in some states, you'll have a right to abortion up to six months. In other states, might be seven months. That's something that we don't tend to do in this country to leave basic constitutional rights in a situation where they can be different in different states. But in some ways, that seems to me to be the best thing to do here, because if you don't do that, then you, the court, have got to draw the line. And they have no basis for drawing that line. They're not doctors, they're not scientists, they're just guessing. Well, I'm excited to see where this case goes on December 1st and later in June. Professor Bender, thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to email us at aslawradio at gmail.com.